Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Uh, this is a special one. Uh, we are embarking now on the the first anniversary of the passing of Lakers great Kobe Bryant, uh, his daughter Gianna, and uh, several others in that tragic helicopter crash in Calabasas, California on January 26th of last year. And joining me, two colleagues here at ESPN who uh, knew Kobe uh, about as well as anybody um, in our group, Ramona Shelburne, uh, Dave McMiniman. Uh, guys, how are you? Doing okay, Woj. Thanks Doing for good, having Woj. us on. Uh, R- Ramona, let me start with this. I, and I wonder, I, I know I feel it all the time, and it's it's it certainly, it hits you at different times, but even a year later, is it still hard to process that Kobe is gone? Are there times where you think about him or you see something and it, it just, it still doesn't quite seem real? Oh, all the time. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing to me that, um, you know, I can still, I'm, I'm actually sitting about five feet away from where I was sitting last year at this time when you and I recorded a, a podcast. Remember that, that night? Yes. Um, and, uh, it was like really raw um, that night. I, I think I spoke to Dave, Dave. I think you were the first colleague I talked to that day. And um, I was, I remember when I saw the news, it was, you know, TMZ and um, I was just shaking and crying and upset. And, um, but also going into reporter mode, like, Oh, okay, what should we do? And I don't know. My only instinct was like, I should go to the scene. I should uh, start working. I should, we have to confirm the news. Like, you know, you have these things that you're going through right then. And it was just surreal. And I remember talking to Dave and, um, you know, he, he just said, you know, take care of yourself here. This is really like, it's okay. You know? And, and I, I remember you saying that, like, this is a really, this is a really hard one and, and just breathe and take care of yourself. Like this is, this is a really hard one. I, I mean, I think I definitely cried on the phone to you that day, like right after it happened, Dave. And um, I, I remember appreciating you saying that because in that moment, I, th- I mean, it's just, I still remember how shook I was, just how shook. I can go right back there if I, cl- if I go back to those feelings. And like that night when I talked to you, Adrian, it was um, after I had been out in the field all day. I'd just come back home from the Mamba Academy where everyone was. And it was like, <sighs> like I, I, I shudder just thinking about it because it's, um, it, it's like one of those days that um, you'll always remember where you were, who you were with, who you talked to. Um, I'll always remember the, the weeks and months that followed. And when, um, when I look back on it, I just feel, um, I, I, man, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's like, I want to wipe it out. Like, I just want it to go away. I, I want to pretend that didn't happen and that everything is fine. Like, you know, I was looking at uh, videos of myself because you know how Facebook pops up with memories sometimes? And it was just like the night before, you know, January 25th. And I was watching Baby Shark with my son. And it was like, you know, things were normal. <laughs> and I, I was like, man, that was one day before, huh? That was one day before. What about you, Dave? I I think of the Bronx tail line. There's nothing worse in life than wasted potential. And I think about everything that was left on the table for Kobe to accomplish in uh, the life that he was leading post NBA player. And, you know, it's a tremendous loss and it hits in waves. And I texted both you guys about this, but 
the nature of our jobs, we're on our phones all the time. And sometimes that means being on social media platforms. Instagram has this discover page and it, the algorithm chooses what you may be interested in based on posts you've liked in the past. And anytime I see a Kobe highlight or a Kobe photo of him and his, his children or his wife, his family, I'm liking that photo. So I see a constant stream of mm-hmm. Kobe content on a daily basis. I feel like when I open up Instagram and it, it it's somewhat comforting. Um, absolutely. But it's a, a constant reminder of, you know, wow, uh, we still don't have them. And uh, I don't know if it, it's ever going to really, really make sense to me. Um, in a lot of ways, to me, that was the moment that marked an entry into, you know, what's been a incomprehensible 12 months as a whole. A- absolutely, Dave. And it's, it's funny. I remember none of us have traveled much. You guys are both in LA and Going out to L.A. Um, right before the shutdown in March, um, there was that last Clipper-Laker game in Staples Center uh, on Sunday. We were there for NBA Countdown, and then the season shut down maybe on Wednesday of that week, I think, right? Wednesday of that mm-hmm. week. And I was already you know, I was already back east. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, this was, you know, he passed on, in late January. This was um, early March. And then... Um, going back out again in October for a few days and I was at our, just being at our, uh, studio in LA and there's a big Kobe mural, um, with just a very, um, he's sweating and he's, it's, it's a game action of him in our, in our offices there. And I was just walking alone in the hallway and stopped and looked at it and just, just staring at it. And, um, just thinking, um, wow, it just is, um. Remarkable to think he's gone, and I was with I was with uh, Rob Palenka in Orange County after the Lakers had won the championship. We taped we taped a podcast at a spot kind of near where he and Kobe, where, where Rob still lives, where uh, I believe Vanessa and and um, Kobe's family are, and and a place they spent a lot of time. And um, the, the and you said it, Dave. The the loss, I think, especially. Yeah, not just for the league, but but and I think we all saw it really more. Um, how he transcended. I remember in the moments after I had confirmed that Kobe that that Kobe was on the helicopter, and I reported it. And I remember Michael Leaves was in Sports Center. He was on set, and I was in my car. I was actually driving to Bristol. It was right around my dad. My dad actually turns ninety years old tomorrow. Last year he was turning eighty nine. And it was kind of a quiet Sunday. I thought I could sneak up and see him for a couple hours. And I was on my way in the car, never made it obviously to Bristol, had to turn around. But I was on the phone with Mike in a parking lot of, I guess, a McDonald's somewhere I pulled off right after I had reported and, and confirmed that, that TMZ was, uh, report. And I, I just remember him asking me that, like, the impact of this beyond the impact of this in the NBA and beyond the NBA. And I remember trying to just gather myself in that moment and to try to put that in the words on the fly. We've thought a lot about it since we've seen the impact, but in that moment, it was, it was hard to even put it into context. And I think that's what we've had a year to do. And I, I would ask you guys, when you think back to the year and 
the response and the reaction and the uh, how Kobe's passing and Gianna and, and certainly the others on board. And I think part of it was to see um, among the people, the, the two individuals, the public knew Kobe and Gianna, I think to see a father and a daughter there together, it landed this in a different way. And I think you, you felt that right away. And I think you've seen that right in this past year and how people have remembered them and how they've tried to come to terms with it. You know, it's, it's, it's um, like when I, when I think of it, we drive all over LA, like just the other day I was getting off the freeway and I drove by one of the cool murals. Right. And I can't even tell you how many people who are not sports fans who didn't watch Laker games. They still talk about Kobe. Like, I mean, I'll be at, uh, well, back when we used to go to yoga classes, <laughs> like I'm going to be yoga class and people will talk about it. I mean, my mom's friends will talk about it. They don't watch basketball. Like they don't, you know, they, they, but they know Kobe and they know Gianna. And, you know, I think I keep thinking how, um, not just how, like all the life he had left to live and all of the things that he had worked for, like all these years. I mean, that's what always, that sits so uncomfortably for me is, is he had positioned himself and he was finally starting to kind of loosen up and let people in. And, you know, I was just talking to Matt Barnes the other day and all the, you know, he said, you know, Matt has um, some young kids or I think his boys are about 12 now. And um, when they turned 10, Kobe put them through a workout I think it was their, he said it was their birthday part present from him. And they, he did it as kind of a surprise. Like Matt told Kobe, like all his boys always play video games all the time. And so they, he pretended like they were going to get a new video game, but instead their present was a lesson with Kobe and <laughs> like Kobe just totally kicked their ass. <laughs> like he just like came out and I'm like, he didn't take it easy on the 10 year olds. He's like, no, he's like one of the twins threw up afterwards. I was like, Oh my God. And I guess they had just, you know, he sent, he sent shoes for their team, for them ever all the time. Um, and one of the things he said to him was like, Oh, I hear you guys want to go to UCLA. And he goes, that's nice. You, you, I hope you're good at school. Cause you're not going to be going there as basketball players. And they're like, what, why not? And he's like, because your dad says you play video games all the time. You're not working. I'm like, who says that to a 10-year-old? <laughs> so Kobe. I love it, right? <laughs> and he's uh, like, and the boys, like, he's, Matt said his, his boys really, like, lit a fire under them. Like, he, they've really, like, put, it, put in the work themselves. It's coming from within now as opposed to um, somebody pushing them. And I think about that all the time. Like, this, was gonna, this is what Kobe was going to be. He was going to be that guy who tried to reach the next generation, who inspired people. But... They, I mean, they would always meet up like they, you know, their, their kids were playing in AAU tournaments. So they met up every couple of weeks and, and he would watch Kobe's, you know, G would watch Gianna and, and Kobe would watch Matt's boys. And like, just think about all the kids that Kobe would have reached this way that he would have inspired like coached and reached out to like that. Here's something. And Dave, I think you can speak to this having covered, I mean, uh, both of you, both of you certainly covered Kobe for a long time, but there was a transformation with Kobe. Mm -hmm where he went, and I always try to think about when it was, where he went from an absolute loner who was not close yeah. with people around the league, who kept to himself, who his teammates felt largely didn't really know him. And it changed, and, and, and I want to believe it changed with fatherhood at some point, but I remember going out to L.A., um, probably 2011, 12. And I remember going in the locker room and seeing him 
And he'd be like, hey, how long are you out here for? And I'd say, oh, I'm out here for the week. Well, you you know, do you want to, we'll, we'll grab dinner down at Jave's and Javier's, yeah. Newport yeah. Beach. Have, right. And <laughs> and uh, Jim Rome, it's like it was Jim Rome's yep. place. And I know Jim used to meet him down there. And and so he always had kind of a, and Tim Grover, his long, long time workout guy, who was also Michael Jordan's, people know Tim from a lot of things, but they knew him from the Jordan doc. And, and then he worked with, worked with um, Kobe. Tim would be with him. Tim would be in town. And it was odd to me that like he wanted to just, I, I remember going down a couple times with him and I remember sitting and watching games with him in there um, and talking about the league. And I remember there was one time where he was convinced that um, Jim Buss was going to, he was convinced that Jim Buss was going to. Probably not offer him an gosh, extension. I think word, that's yes. what it would have been. No, no, or, it was um, <laughs> amnesty that Jim Buss was going to, am- he goes, I think he's going to amnesty me. I said, Kobe, the Lakers are not going to amnesty you. There's no, uh, it was, um, it might've been right prior to the POW trade where they were still trying to, or it was after, let's see. No, Dwight Howard, probably trade. after Dwight Howard, or it, during that yeah, year. It, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so anyway, he, and I remember having that conversation with him. I'm like, they would burn LA down if you were like, and then he's like, I, w- I would go to, f- I would go with Phil to the Knicks. If that's the case then I would go to the Knicks with Phil, I said, well, somebody would claim you like, I can't, I said, and then I'm like, this is the dumbest conversation I've ever had with you. <laughs> like you're not getting amnestied. You are not going to the Knicks, the Lakers, like you're going to play the rest of your career here. And, and, but at the time though, I just remember how limited his world was in a lot of ways and he didn't have players coming out and spending the summer with him. Like later on when Jason Tatum would come out, I think Kyrie mm-hmm. went out later. But Dave, when do you remember him going from somebody who did not really, um, was not, didn't have all these tentacles out in the world and was very, just very insular. And, and, but it did change and it changed mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah, I still think, Adrian, about the fact that Derek Fisher was a teammate of his, I don't know, add up all the years, probably 13 or so of the 20 seasons he played in the league, maybe more than that. And and Derek once revealed that he'd never been to Kobe's house. Now, obviously, Newport Beach is a bit of a hike for listeners who aren't familiar with the L.A. landscape uh, compared to where most of the players live. But that, to me, was emblematic of he had – barriers between work life and home life and again whether it was virtue of growing up in Italy and being an outsider as an American over there and and kind of keeping that loner DNA as he came into the league and being the youngest guy on a veteran locker room where you had guys like Shaq and Brian Shaw and Robert Ory, um, you know, carousing Rick Fox and, and Kobe's not even old enough to go to the clubs. I, I think that carried on to me where I saw the difference and I was so young covering at the time, but I think hearing stories about the difference was 2008, that Olympic experience, he was the elder statesman. He had everything that guys like Carmelo and LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, they wanted to achieve in the league. He already, Kobe already kind of had it, but they 
had that camaraderie and that kinship. And I think there was kind of a trade-off. Like, uh, he let them in a little bit into his world in terms of working out and stuff like that uh, and, and things they can do to become a better basketball player. And I think they socialized him a little bit, and, and that carried on in the rest of his NBA years. I, I think that's a great point, Dave. And I, I remember being in Beijing in 2008. That's when I felt like I got to know him better. At the time, you would have this open media session every day, and it would be 30 minutes, 40 minutes. There weren't that many of us there. And I remember Kobe would just sit and talk every day. He was there from the moment that thing started until it ended. And if you're, listen, I think the smart NBA players know that Olympic experience and the way it used to be designed anyway was a great way to have, like every story every day is, it's not the it's not the daily grind of the NBA story where you might have a bad week and you're losing games and you got to explain why your team's not winning. Like everything's good. There's no there's no blame to go around at the Olympics. Everybody's there to take some credit and I'm fitting in and I'm and it's a great place to get a lot of great coverage because people are there eager to write about the biggest stars and Kobe took advantage of that in that month and the team obviously went on and uh, won the gold medal. I remember the fourth quarter of that gold medal game against Spain where it got it got dicey for the U.S. team, and uh, Kobe and Dwayne Wade down the stretch took over and put that game away. I remember the U.S. called a timeout, I think up just one after having like a 16, 17-point lead, and they won. And uh, But I think you're absolutely right about that um, because the one thing that LeBron hadn't won a championship yet, but LeBron had a great gift of – uh, really connecting and having these relationships all around. And people gravitated toward LeBron like that. And I do think that that, and maybe Kobe had some things at that time, some intangibles that LeBron being around and other players being around were helpful for them. Um, but you're right. I do think that 08, that 08 Olympic team changed, that 08 Olympics guys changed a lot for the NBA 2010, the big three in Miami um, almost certainly doesn't happen without the time those guys all spent on the Olympic team. And it really changed the next decade. It changed free agency. Uh, Kobe sort of just stayed the course in L.A. the rest of the way. Um, But uh, I do think that's an interesting point, Dave, in terms of. um, But I still think it was a few years. There were still a couple more years there. Um, it wasn't to me really to the end of Kobe's career that I think when he started to see that statesman role, I think Kobe number one started to see, I'm probably not winning any more championships in LA. And he would always say, Hey, I don't want a farewell tour. I never want that. Well, the option was just being on a really bad team and keeping it a secret all year and then just leaving. I was never surprised when he announced it early in the year because there was nothing left for him to do, but have that was that farewell tour was the only thing that gave that season value. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've done two stories now on friendships that Kobe had that none of us knew about. Right. Um, the first one being with Michael Jordan. I don't think any of us realized how close they really were until Michael got up and gave that eulogy. I remember when Michael was there, like, I was like, wait, Whoa, Jordan's giving a eulogy. Oh my God. Like I would have thought, um, you know, I mean, Shaq gave one too, but like I knew Kobe and Shaq were not necessarily close. I mean, they, they, they were teammates forever, but they, they didn't hang out socially or anything yeah. like that. So that was expected. 
Um, but when MJ got up there, I mean, that was real connection and emotion. And I did not realize how much they talked and how close they were. And it was, I think that they kept that for themselves. Like they knew if it would have got out, if they would have talked about it, we all would have just gotten into like, who's better. And we all would have gotten into that stuff. So like, it was, it was kind of pure. And then the other one that I, I can't, I didn't realize was Pow. And we've all seen this through social media this year of just, Uncle Pal looking out for Vanessa and the girls. Like it's it's really been sweet to see. Um, and I asked him, I go, when did when did you guys get close? I mean, I I knew that you would put like hermanos on your you know a hashtag on Twitter posts or in Facebook posts, right, or Instagram. But I, I just thought that was like a hashtag. <laughs> you know, like I thought you were close teammates. But did you guys hung out? And he's like, yeah. And I go, and you met Vanessa and the girls all the time. And he's like. Yeah, I went to, like, he, he hung out with them socially. Like, all the girls really know him. And it's not just since Kobe passed. Like, they have a real friendship and relationship. And, and Dave, I was in the same place as you. I, I thought, like, Derek Fisher's never even been to his house. Like, what? You know, I remember when he tore his Achilles. Remember, didn't Dwight and I forget who the other player was. It was, like, a young player drove down to see him. And I was like, is that the first Laker player to go to Kobe's house? Like, right? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and it's Dwight Howard? I mean, it was so... And Dwight of all people. Yeah, of all people. You know, and it was so, like, we all, I think, I think it was all just the, the, the branding. Like, I think he had friends the whole time. I mean, I know he hung out, he had, I know some of his friends. He was, he was close with LeBron Prophet. He was close with Matt Barnes. Matt knew him since 98 because Kobe used to train at UCLA when Matt was playing there. And Kobe was a young player and uh, he would just go there by himself and Matt, Matt said, he goes, yeah, I remember when he was on the bus with Shaq, like there's all these stories about how Kobe would just put his headphones on because he didn't want to talk to anybody. And he was such a loner. And he goes, yeah, but that's because Shaq was talking, talking crap to him the whole time. He didn't want to hear what Shaq was saying. So he just put his headphones on. And he was just this young guy who didn't know how to relate to any of his older teammates. And it just took a while for him to, to do that. But then once, once Kobe was in his prime and he was, he was becoming the Black Mamba and winning championships... That's when I think the the brand of the Black Mamba became this front, right? Like this idea that Kobe doesn't have friends and, you know, I mean, he even trademarked that. Remember? Friends hang sometimes, banners hang forever. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Literally trademarked it. Sounds, I'm like, You're sounds about right. That's yeah. so Kobe. I, I challenged him on that at, yeah. at sit down and I was like, it sounds kind of messed up. And he's yeah. like, well, I don't want to be that guy that's going to the team reunion 20 years down the line and we're achy and creaky and we're you know needing a cane to get around the room and we we tap each other on the shoulder man hey, remember those good times we had we were this close to winning a championship no i'd rather be the guy winning championships so this is what do i want i'm like i mean that's the way your brain works kobe good for you yeah but you know what that was part of it like that was you know Bar- matt matt barnes told me he goes you know there was one time on the bus they were in phoenix and matt who has known him literally since kobe was a kobe and him were were teenage were I guess teenagers, yeah, early tw- teenagers or twenty or whatever it was when they were, Matt was in college. Um, he said, "Hey, why don't why don't you let the world see what we see? Like you're cool as hell. Like they Matt and him used to go out on the road. They hung out, uh, you know, all the time when they were teammates. They trained together. Um, and and Kobe's like, I can't let these MF, you know, he's lot, there's lots of profanity always. I can't let these <laughs> MFers see this, you know, see that side of me. No way. You're like, I'm trying to kill people out there, right? Like." And, and that was like part of the brand. And I, I kind of get that. And so when you ask when did it start to change, I really, 
just being up close. This is just my opinion from being up close. Okay. May have been earlier because Kobe didn't let us see it. Right. Um, but from what he let us see, I would say it was after the Achilles, which really brought him yeah. down to earth mm-hmm. as a human. Right. Cause he had this belief in himself that he would, you know, he could outwork and outwill and I can, I can make it so that my body will, you know, I, I'll just train harder. Right. I mean, that was his, always his philosophy. Um, yeah. I thought that brought him back down to earth. And even when he came back from that, I still think he thought he could be Kobe again. And he was, he was getting there, but we were in Memphis and he didn't, he like knock knees with Tony Allen, Dave. I think it was, yeah. he yeah. like, and, and he had a, uh, and he was, um, it, that was the one he had worked so hard to get back from that Achilles. And then I think he broke his kneecap and yeah, it, was, it was a couple it, weeks before Christmas, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I think, that was one of the that was one of the injuries I think that really took the wind out of his sails competitively. Where um, you work so hard to get back, and then boom, you do your kneecap, and then right after that, he had a shoulder injury, where he starts. You know, he I forget what it was like a torn labrum maybe or some kind of bad shoulder yeah, injury. That's right. That's and right. he uh, he started shooting left handed during the game. Remember that? <laughs> like, and Byron was like, "Come on, man." What are you doing? Get out! Get out of here! You, you can't be shooting left-handed if you have a, if your right shoulder doesn't work. And I think those like those back-to-back to back injuries. Um, I think that's really when he started to realize, okay, I've done everything I can physically to get myself back, and and my body's starting to not cooperate anymore. And when he saw his basketball mortality, okay, and it and it feels weird to use that word. Um, when we're talking about when we now know what happened just several years later, but when he saw that basketball was, was coming to an end for him and that he wasn't going to be that guy forever. Um, that's when I really think his priorities shifted. And, and I think you're right, Adrian, that it was like, they weren't going to win. He couldn't be Kobe anymore. And I think he just said, okay, well, how much longer am I going to do this? And what am I going to do? What, what, what's going to be important for me to leave a legacy in this game? And he tried to do for others what Mike had done for him. And even though Mike did that for him really quietly, and, and uh, you know, I think that was really important for him to give back and do it in a way that was open to all these people. I mean, that once he became in a way like, remember how Olajuwon was for years? Like any big man, they would just say, "Okay, go work out with Akeem." Yeah, yeah, he's right? gonna fix. He's gonna yeah, go spend a week with Akeem, and yeah. he's gonna transform every. Yeah, that's right. Hey guys, Stephen A. Smith goes beyond the headlines to unlock a unique world of hot takes, one of a kind segments and can't-miss interviews. Stream all this and more on his new show, Stephen A's World, exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. You mentioned the Pow and the Michael, and I have two, and I, I hope I'm not repeating myself from last year's pod. I probably am. But the, I remember one time I remembered, hey, this is an evolution in Kobe as a leader that I hadn't seen. I remember if you remember this season, this was Dave, there was a time where Powell kind of was taking some veiled shots at Kobe in the media Oh yeah, about we've got to move the ball. The ball stays in one spot. We're not going to win. If the ball's not moving, he was talking about Kobe and he wasn't saying, but for Powell, it was, it was a departure for Powell to talk oh, that way. That's definitely. not Powell's nature. And I remember I went to see Kobe somewhere. I remember it was a shoot around. I'm trying to remember. I remember sitting over in the, uh, court. I, I wish I could remember the city. And I remember I asked him about it and I sort of expected him to really snap back at Pow, 
I probably was goading him a little bit. <laughs> I probably was because it was a story. And I said, I'm going to fly in and see if he wants to talk about what, because something was going on with the team. It was just, and I remember him saying to me, you know, if I say that about Pow, if I snap back on this, I'm going to send him back into a shell. It's not what's going to be best for the team. I'm going to fi- I'll figure this out with him and we'll be fine. And I remember thinking, I think I might have yeah. said to him, hey, that's, I remember I think I said to him, and I think we laughed. I said, that's like, this is the most, I think I said something like, well, that's like the most mature answer I've ever gotten from you about something like this. And <laughs> I remember us laughing about it. And, and, um, and they obviously, they had such a great relationship because of, I think, especially Kobe's European roots. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, I was, I went over to Spain before the Olympics in 2012. Team USA was playing uh, in Barcelona. I went over a few days early. Ricky Rubio was rehabbing a knee injury. And I remember I spent a day uh, with Ricky. And then uh, Pau, remember Kobe and Pau went out for dinner one of those nights uh, because they were going to play each other and and all that. And and they, they always had a great relationship. I think they always, they were two really, really highly intelligent uh, people, certainly. But the Michael thing, that relationship was not always there. And I, I and I, I again, I think I told this one, but when I, I went to see Kobe in Minneapolis, it was the year after they had Pastor. won. Yes, and it was the year they had won their last title. So they won in Orlando oh, okay. in 2010, right? No, yeah, nine. this would have been nine was Orlando, ten was uh, against the Celtics. Right, and so ten, um, eleven, so maybe ten, eleven season. And I think what happened was Michael, somebody asked Michael about who, it was some list. They oh, asked yeah. Michael about some list of yeah. players who were the best. I don't know if it was the best active or the best ever. Whatever the list was, Michael left Kobe off it and he was mad about it. And I remember that's when Michael told me about, that's when Kobe told me his Michael Jackson story and how instrumental Michael Jackson had been awesome. in his life. And he went and spent time with him when he was a teenager and he watched how Michael made music and he learned sort of this step-by-step intricacies of how Michael approached um, all the small details of what he did. And, and he said something to me like, you know, everybody thinks it was Michael Jordan. I learned from Michael Jackson. And in my mind, I'm going, okay, I have no doubt that Michael Jackson would have impacted him and he would have been into spending that kind of time watching somebody who's at the very top of their craft do it. But right away, I realized it was really Kobe's way to kind of dig back at Michael and say, you know what? Like, you're not my only mentor. It was, it was like the one way he could. And um, I remember talking to him that night about like them not really having much of a relationship, but, but you know, Michael kind of in his, in that, eulogy Michael gave, he kind of indicated that. He was like, he was this young guy who was kind of a little bit of a nuisance. He's texting me all the time. And I think he won over time. I think I think there was a time early in Michael's Kobe's career when he first got in the league as a teenager, where he would be trying to talk to Michael on the court. You saw it in the All-Star game or when they'd play each other. And then I think there was like a kind of an uneasy maybe part in the middle and then I think it evolved a little bit later for both of them. And I think Michael's eulogy kind of spelled that out in how he described kind of the way Kobe won him over over time. What I love about that, Woj, is that 
<laughs> Kobe, basically, when we think about his impact now, he was able to distill his message of working as hard as you possibly can, throwing all of your passion and your time and your effort into your pursuit, uh, overcoming any obstacle through your fortitude and your mental toughness into this Mamba mentality. And that has been carried over. And we've seen it from frontline healthcare workers talking about what it's been like to be in the hospital day after day and dealing with cases. And they've referenced the Mamba mentality. Uh, we've seen mm -hmm. it from actors and actresses um, speaking about their ability to really dive into a role um, and change their lifestyle around seeing that roll through mama mentality. Uh, Anthony Davis spoke about it this weekend and said he's seen so many players in other sports uh, bring it up and he never realized it. You know, the, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, have a huge Kobe Bryant quote on the wall of their locker room. He's a basketball star, but his uh, his message transcended, and which is interesting because Kobe was a basketball player, but he also likened himself to be a storyteller. And also, you know, at Rob Palinka's old office uh, before he, I, I don't think it's still up in his office in El Segundo with the Lakers, but when he served as Kobe's agent, he had old marketing campaigns that him and Kobe worked on framed in his office because he was so proud that, they took the ownership of the storytelling and the branding. Um, it wasn't just, okay, Nike or okay, Gatorade or whatever company that he was working with. Uh, we'll do whatever commercial you deem fit. It is, we're going to use our storytelling ability to enhance this, this commercial and make it more memorable. And certainly we remember what he did 81 and we remember the five championships and the basketball memories flow and flow and flow. But uh, to be able to, to brand the message in a way that it was attachable um, to the masses, I think it's incredible. Well, you know what Kobe would always say, and I always thought this was funny. Like, you know, he was his, you know, he said, I wrote 90% of the commercials I was ever in. <laughs> like it might be true. Um, you know, I, I'm sure the folks at Weed and Kennedy would have something to say about that, but um, but but still, that's a that's a Kobe thought, right? But what you're getting at, Dave, which I think is brilliant, is he is, you know, being able to come up with a phrase where everybody knows what you mean by that, like pe like to distill all of that. I mean, I could put it into words, you could put it into words. It means something different to other people, but when you say Mamba mentality, like people know what that's like. I mean, I, you know, like people know what that is. I mean, I, it's like a hashtag now. And, and like, the, you know, the lady at the yoga class, right? I mean, like literally people who are not even in sports know what that means. And, well, and, and, here, and here's the other thing, Ramona. Think about this. Typically, in sports, you get mocked if you give yourself a nickname. Yeah. Right? It's got to come organically. Yep. You sort of, I don't know, like think of... I don't know. Did Wilt... Wilt the still? Yeah. I don't know. Dollar bill... <laughs> Uh, dollar bill Bradley, um, whatever it was, I don't know. I'm just thinking of, but typically you would find yourself mocked to give yourself some nickname. It would not catch on. It would not, people wouldn't. Yeah. And I can't think of somebody else. Um, you know, Jerry West is the logo. He's the logo. Yeah. That's easy, right? That the was, only one is Shaq. I can't, 
Shaq gave himself 10 nicknames and they all work. He's really good at it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, the Mamba was a, it, it created an entire, an entirely alter ego. It was a superhero ego. Um, and there's no question post-retirement and it, it would have continued to resonate and it would have been interesting to see how the way Jordan has and Jordan brand and Michael, uh, I, I think that, um, I don't think there's any question guys it had and would have had and will have even in his absence, tremendous staying power. Totally. I mean, I think about it all the time and like, I, I had a, a, a like I think I, my relationship friendship whatever you want to call it with with Kobe grew um, towards the back end of his career the last few years of his career especially even which is kind of sad because he was you know th- those were his diminished years those were just like the post Achilles years and he was sort of playing out the string but even in retirement I think we talked more often um, after he retired because he was just a regular guy then he was just a, a basketball dad you know he was taking his daughter to games and he was going to the office and like, I, I think that partially because of that sort of softening of him, uh, that, that you know, he let people see him, that he let people in a little bit. That's also why I think that Mamba mentality caught on because it's like you saw both sides now. You saw that he was, he wasn't like as a player, he was just, he was, he was the black Mamba. He was Kobe. He would, you know, all you have to do is say Kobe at the end of it. People know what you mean. It's, you know, the, like when Anthony Davis hit that shot, he said, Kobe. I mean, like it's like it—that's a brand. It's it's every it's a the, it's a legend now, and but I think be, he became even more beloved after after he kind of fell from his perch as like you know the king or the best basketball player, um, because he showed some humanity and he showed that you know he got knocked down several times you know with injuries and stuff. But he you know I think the enduring image that I have of him is the shooting the two free throws after the Achilles. I mean that was that enduring uh, you know my body failed me but I'm going to still stand here and shoot these free throws and I mean he must have been in pain right I mean he must have been in terrible pain as he's shooting those free throws and walking off but you didn't see it on his face and so I think and, like, and we the, all see the, that they're perfect swishes and oh. you know all, all, Robert Sakurai was doing the right thing trying to be his teammate and help yeah. Kobe walk off Kobe wanted no part of Robert nope. Sakurai he was wanting yep. to prove that I can do this on my own two feet <laughs> walking back to the locker room and that's what crystallized the, the two images, right? There, here's this, here's this larger than life sort of mythical hero, superhero, um, and also this human being. And we, and when you saw both, like when you saw the this human who had, who had had a human failing, right? His, his Achilles popped. I mean, it just it just humanized him and turned him into even more of a um, a legend. I think that's the right word, right? Don't you feel like he's which is like why, why we love sports. We- we love sports because we understand yeah. that these are guys and women that have taken the same DNA set and pushed their body to do things that are incomprehensible, uh, push their, their mind and their body. And that, you know, and Kobe routinely 81, just, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. You watch that game, 55 points uh, in the second half. It, it's wild. Uh, it's doubles and triple teams that he's splitting and against a professional basketball yeah. team uh, and, and taking away their will to win and uh, all the buzzer beaters, you know, where those impossible angles, a yep. guy shouldn't be able to hit. Some guys don't even want to have the ball in their hands in that situation. Um, but 
that's what he lived for. And I, I think those are the parts of the way he approached the game that, that also stick with his fans and, you know, stick with, you know, covering him. You, you had to admire his approach to the game to some extent, even though you'd roll your eyes. I mean, one of the most basic things we're taught in basketball is you never want to leave your feet uh, before you uh, decide what you're going to do. Kobe had so many turnovers where he jumped <laughs> and, then, and then passed and everybody could read it. But, you know, he was doing that because he was always testing the limit and seeing what he could improvise and seeing how far he could go with the play. Um, you know, he was yeah, just an incredible guy to, to, to watch. Do either or both of you, Ramona, Dave, remember Kobe's last playoff victory, playoff game victory in the NBA? Against OKC, was it? Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, because the next year he got hurt right before the playoffs. 2012, game three. The following year. Right, yeah. That's right. The following year, they got beat. um, They got swept by the Spurs. Yeah, but that was the Achilles Without without him. Without him. Yeah. Um, I I remember that Oklahoma series. um, Let's see, 2012. Mike Brown, (laughs) head coach. That was his year, right? Yes. Yeah. And... uh, um, it was, um, I remember him, uh, Westbrook and Durant coming out of a press conference. Um, let's see, did they play the Thunder back to back? Yeah, it was in years? Oklahoma. I'm pretty sure that they, game was in Oklahoma. They played him, they played him in 2010 in the first round. And yeah. Tough, and that was, that was the Lamar Kobe's Odom. It was knee, uh, bone on bone. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And that was one where they snuck out of there. I remember, I think. Serge Ibaka might have missed a block out, and Lamar Odom might have gotten a tip in. Or um, I think it was, think it was think. Powell. Didn't Powell it was Powell. It was Powell. Yeah. It was Powell, right? And they won. They kind of stuck out of there, but you knew OKC was coming. Like, they yeah. were coming. And I remember him coming out of the – I remember Kobe uh, – The let's see. Kobe was leaving the press conference, and Westbrook and Durant were walking in, and I happened to be standing sort of in the hallway there as they are passing each other. And Kobe just looks at those two and sort of says, basically, I'm glad I don't have to, I'm basically, I'm glad I don't have to see you two MFs anymore. Like, like kind of acknowledging to them, I know I'm in trouble with you two. And I'm, I'm grateful that I got past you this year. And, uh, and that was it. I mean, that was, um, you know, the chase for that sixth title never really there was never a season you felt like, I guess when Nash came and you thought maybe Nash had one more run left in him, they were on that. They had that Sports Illustrated cover, Lee Jenkins cover story. Uh, oh, he's gonna Dwight. love that you bring this up, Woj. Yep, right. It's it's that it was that Dwight Howard. This is gonna be fun. Steve Nash. This is gonna be fun. And and Nash Nash plays about ten games maybe that year. Yep. And Dwight and and there was a thought. Well, maybe. They've put it back together and they can make a run, but but obviously yeah. that was it. That was he was really out of championship contention um, after and and now you it's at that point the emergence of LeBron is a champion championship player in the league and Oklahoma City and then obviously Golden State later on and that that, that was it. Yeah, they won like seventeen out of eighteen. I'm on Basketball Reference right now in ten eleven, and it was like okay maybe they can figure something out here. Uh, but obviously, you know, they, they struggle against the Hornets in the first round, or it's a tough series, a hard-fought series, and then the sweep to Dallas. And, 
I, I don't know if after Phil Jackson left Kobe's life as a coach, there was ever like a really a chance where you thought mm-hmm. he, he would win the, the win it th- that year. You know, I, I want to talk about Phil a little bit. He's um, we he's one of the only people we haven't heard all that much from um, about Kobe's passing, right? I, th- I think I thought maybe he would give a eulogy. Um, we he hasn't really given a lot of public statements ever since you know he he left the Knicks, and uh, there's a part of me you know I've I've talked to Phil a little bit here and there since since that, and it's almost like I don't know how to bring up the Kobe thing. Like I I don't even know how to bring that up with him because I know how how special their relationship really was. Um, and I, I keep going back to these two things. Like I remember pushing Kobe pretty hard on this towards the end of his career. He was saying like, I didn't need Phil's, uh, you know, approval. I didn't need Phil to be proud of me, you know, blah, that kind of stuff. And I was like, come on, man. Like you, you and Phil, like, like you were just saying, Adrian, like he would have gone to New York with Phil. Like he, Phil was the guy who appreciated how great a basketball player Kobe was. He does. And he brought the best out of him. And, um, so a couple of days ago, when we had the anniversary of the 81-point game, I went back and read a story that uh, my former colleague, Ross Seiler, he was a beat writer with the LA Daily News when I was there, and he mm-hmm. covered that 81-point game. And there was this quote that Kobe gave about the 81-point game, right? He said, like, you know, because Phil, Phil obviously wanted to take him out a couple of times. Remember that? He, he, he talked about, mm-hmm. yeah, I was looking at Frank Hamlin, like, should we take him out? And Frank's like, I don't think you can. I mean, you have to let him go for it. Like you got it. Like he had like seventy, and Frank's like, we could take him out. We don't need him right now. Like we're up. We're gonna win. You know, and and Phil's and he's right. You had to let Kobe go for it and see how many points he could get. Um, and after the game, Kobe's quote was, you know, I I, I need you know that it makes me so glad to see Phil be proud of me like that. And he talked about how much his approval meant to him. And it was it was so interesting to go back and read. That was the the younger younger Kobe that year. Remember, he was going for fifty all the time, and. Phil was, you know, the Zen master. He was the guy. Um, this is af- this is well past the the time when Phil called him uncoachable. Well, I mean, many years later, um, and so uh, not that many, Ramona. It's about yeah, three, three years well, later. Yeah, three years later. Okay, but you know, in Kobe time, that's a little bit right. They, they <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, so like you know, Phil calls him uncoachable. Then he's talking about how much his his approval means to him, and then by the time he's retiring, he's like. I pretty much was uncoachable, but I didn't need Phil to coach me. I already knew what he was going to say. And, and, and you look at those three different versions of those feelings. And I think it's kind of what you said earlier, Adrian, about the story with Michael and the, the, the two MJs, right? Um, on the one hand, uh, what Kobe's really saying is, you know, he did need Phil. Of course he needed Phil along the way. He Phil taught him so much. I mean, he's like getting a, he told me once playing for Phil was like getting a PhD in basketball. I mean, it's uh, that that really helped him and to grow. But on the other hand, he he learned so much that he could do it on his own. And once he did, he wasn't going to let anyone see that he needed that. Right. Like towards the end, like when he was writing his own story, which is what Kobe did. He wrote his own story. Uh, he was this is the way he was going to tell it. And I that's I- always what I'll remember about him. man. he like I'm a writer, Dave, you're a writer. At Woj. You, you know, you're we, we want to write the story, but he was going to write his own story. He was not going to give you something, <laughs> you know, that he didn't want to give you. It's he had, I've always said this more than anybody <laughs> I've ever covered in any walk of life. He understood our jobs. Yes. He understood our business in a way that um, nobody else did. I mean, Ramona, <laughs> 
back, you know, back a bit ago when we were trying to hire you. Yeah. We were putting the site together at Yahoo. Yep. And I was trying to hire you away from ESPN. Uh, I, I I may have enlisted a, a recruiter oh, in that I remember. pursuit. I remember. And and he <laughs> actually got a kick. I really thought yeah. he got a kick out of. <laughs> I I oh, can do I remember this. The I can call. deliver yeah. this right. <laughs> yeah. He he called you and yeah. said he called you. Yeah. And he, he said what? Uh, he, he was like, "You got to go. You got to do that, right? Like, what do you what are you thinking about?" And, and I was like, well, should I leave the four letters? And, you know, it's a big writ. And he was like, you got to go, man. Like, that's you got to go work with the best. Like, like, and he was like, don't worry about the four letters. You're the best. He's the best. Go. Like, he was, I mean, he was a good salesman. He's a good recruiter. And it well, was, he, I mean, I was like, whoa, this is really <laughs> happening right now. Okay. <laughs> that was a good, yeah, that was a good call yeah, on your I, part, by the way. I had him poured on thick. <laughs> yeah. But he, uh, Especially it was about, good. Uh, yeah, no, it was good. But I remember that. He's like, I remember he texted me. All right, I tried. I called. Him. I was like, okay, let's see what he happens. He really did. Uh, I'm telling you, he really he did. Didn't, didn't get it done, <laughs> and probably best. Probably looking back, everything worked out the way it was supposed to uh, work out. But uh, yeah, he yep. just he understood everybody and where. Just like he he liked asking questions about what was going on in our business and our industry and. Yeah. What the changes were, what was happening. And it was part of the natural curiosity he had. And and yeah. I always found him to be, he was always interested in the dynamics of relationships and who. Yep. Uh, and, and I don't, I've just never come across anybody in that respect like him and not, not even close. He uh, once reached out to me to, through one of his uh, Nike folks about the possibility of having a drive time radio show on game days. <laughs> uh, ESPN 710. Cause he's like, I guess the thinking was he has this time coming into the arena yeah, and he's thinking about the game and stuff. So why not use that, wow. that window to wow. literally, I mean, obviously it didn't happen. I think I took it to, um, that's funny. <laughs> know, who, who was before a Mike Thompson, Brown, maybe? Uh, Mike Thompson. Mike Thompson. Yeah, yeah, I took it to Mike, and you know, that's funny. There, there was a conversation held uh, about Could that possibility. Oh my God! Could you how, wild, how wild that would that be? Well, first Could of you all, imagine. I mean, we would have, we would definitely have to have the sensor on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like we would have to have you know the the dump button at the ready. Um, because he would definitely curse all the time. He used to listen to me on the radio and he would like text me right in the middle of the show because he was he was always driving. That's the thing. He was always driving from Orange County into the practice facility. So all times of the day. But um, I remember one time in particular, it was about we were talking about Dwight Howard. I was on with Max Kellerman and it was something I was saying about Dwight. And, and he, he liked what I was saying and he like pushed me to go even further Right. Like he was like, keep going, keep, you know, like he was saying, like, you know, all Dwight needs to do is be Bill Russell out there. He could be Bill Russell, you know, and, and you could tell that was Kobe coaching Dwight through the media, the way Phil used to coach people. But like, even in this more like he was trying to shape my own narrative while he was listening to me on the radio. I mean, that's I, let, that's next level. <laughs> I, I, I remember the Dwight trade. We were in London. Yeah. And I remember breaking it at like 4 a.m. Eastern there. And I remember that trade. I remember this was, I don't, I mean, this is 2012 and your phone bill works very differently now. Yeah. But I came back largely because of those Dwight Howard negotiations. I came back, I was at Yahoo then (laughs) 
I believe I had a nine thousand dollars. Oh my phone god! Bill from the Olympics. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I heard you drop that on another pod once, and I literally had the jaw drop. <laughs> yeah, Dave. Dave Morgan somehow somehow Dave Morgan got that through. Like, if I don't break the story, I wonder if they pay it. But we that's we did. true. That's true. But, but I remember going to see him. It was right at the end. I want to say it might have been right at the end for them there. And I remember I grabbed him. We were talking about it. And I remember he said, no, 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 Dwight's because he was, he had always been very anti Dwight and didn't think it was a good idea for him. I don't think it's going to work with him with us, but, but at that point I think he felt he needed them and they had to do it. And, and so I remember him saying, no, Dwight's going to, I remember him saying Dwight is going to, um, he's going to adjust to us. Dwight is going to adjust to the Lakers environment. Dwight's going to be able to handle this. Dwight's going to just defend. He's going to rebound. He's going to block shots. Dwight's going to understand that the ball's not going to go through him, which at that time, Dwight didn't really accept any of it. Um, and it didn't, it didn't. And I think the biggest thing was, was, you know, Dwight's immaturity and his goofing around and getting on the team plane and grabbing the mic and telling jokes, which Kobe, like all of those things of him just goofing around which was so in contrast with how Kobe, with which which is how business was there. He's like, no, he won't do that here. He's not going to do that here. And I said, okay, Kobe, like, well, it'll be interesting. And uh, didn't didn't go great, but I, but you're right, Ramona. I think he he had to come around on his thinking on Dwight because at that point, like Dwight, they had to find a way to make it work, and um, and obviously they didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to. Yep, they didn't. Um, I think your your amnesty story came right after the Dwight, you know, <laughs> right after that. I think you know because that yeah. was the, that was one of the thinking. That's like, that's 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 when it was. I think that's yeah. yeah I think that's when it, it was. was. It was it, like okay, are it going to be Dwight's franchise? How are you going to keep him? And you know, should you amnesty Kobe after that Achilles injury? That's I, I mean, and it was like they're not going to amnesty Kobe after he tore his Achilles, like you know. But that was that was a real topic here in. LA and also I know in the in the conversations you know with with Dwight's agents and 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 the Lakers front office at that time I I know that was an issue for Dwight it's like I when is it going to be my franchise when is he going to pass me the torch and Kobe's yes, take but, on that always was Dave was like uh I'm not going to pass you the torch you got to you got to take it yeah well yeah I mean <laughs> even beyond that Kobe did a video interview with Mike Trudell who works for the Lakers does a great job doing their sidelines and was doing a lot of writing for Lakers.com at the time. And so this is in the middle of the Dwight Howard free agency pursuit. Yeah. You know, we're probably in mid to late June at this point. And Kobe hasn't done a, a ton of press uh, coming off the Achilles surgery. And he sits down with Mike and says, well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be here for the next four or five years. And, you know, after that, it could be Dwight's thing. <laughs> four or five years. It's like Dwight's thinking like, Man, maybe you're out of my, my hair in a year or two. And, and he put his flag down on Laker Mountain and said, like, dude, if you want to come to the top, you're going to have to push me off. Well, you know what's so great about this whole thing, how it comes full circle to this current Lakers team, is the thing that Kobe always said. Remember we used to write, there was always this narrative of nobody wants to play with Kobe, right? No superstar wants to come to L.A. and play with Kobe. And he's, you know, it was a bad teammate, this and that. I think it was... There were several columns that were written about that or long form magazine stories written about that. And Kobe didn't give he didn't give a shit about that narrative. He was like, whatever, man. Like, whoever is gonna come play here is gonna I don't need to pitch them. 
I don't need to sell them. I don't need to, I don't need to like tell them what it means to be a star for the Lakers and to win in LA. We don't need to do a fancy presentation. He's like, I'm not into this recruiting visit. Okay. Um, and he was like, like, I, I, I like, doesn't this bother you? And he was like, no, like he, he really truly didn't care because I think deep, he deep down believed that whoever the torchbearer would be did not need to be convinced. And you know what? He was right. I mean, LeBron so, didn't need to be recruited. AD think? didn't need to be recruited. Right? right, but the fact that he would recruit you for Adrian to try to go to Yahoo says a lot. True. <laughs> he would not recruit another superstar. Right, but he true. would try to help <laughs> recruit you for Adrian. It's true. No, but that was that, that's funny. <laughs> he, I do remember that call. That was that was that 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 was a good move, Will. That was like a that was almost that you, he wasn't quite Draymond Green with Kevin Durant. Okay, <laughs> maybe if you would have sent Draymond, I don't know. Um, but uh, but it was that was a good move. But I think for him with the Lakers, like this current Laker team, and especially the run they went on last year, they were always paying homage to Kobe. And I think they've like Kobe's sort of prophecy that the next Laker greats would not need to be, they don't need a fancy presentation. They don't need to know, you know, how, what the marketing opportunities in Los Angeles are, whatever it is. Like they'll just want the challenge. They'll just want to be the guy in LA. And you've seen LeBron come on his own. And now you've seen Anthony Davis come on his own and then resign for five years. Yeah. And, and listen, that's a whole, I think we've, I think we've got to wrap it up here and get you guys out of here. We could go into the whole, there's a whole nother show to do about that Laker team last year and, and winning the title uh, in the aftermath of, of um, Kobe's um, loss. But guys, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I knew, I knew you were the right two to round up for this. And, uh, um, and, and you were Ramona, Dave, thanks. Thanks for jumping in, spending the time. And um, hopefully I'll see you guys somewhere I don't know, in 2021, before the year's over, I, I yeah. hope I see you in person hey, somewhere, guys. I think, okay, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm gonna, I, I think we're seeing each other at the finals this year. We're seeing each other in person at the finals. Should be in July at some point. Hopefully, we've all been vaccinated. I'm not sure how many fans will be there. Maybe a quarter. <laughs> we're still going to be distancing, but maybe a quarter. But hopefully, we're all seeing each other by the, by the NBA finals. I, I hope you're right. Looking forward to it. Guys, thank you again. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Yep, of course you got it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you today to my colleagues at ESPN, Ramona Shelburne and Dave McMiniman. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to listen and download new and archived episodes of The Low Post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.